Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Hello and welcome to episode 231 of Let's Talk Loyalty. Today, I'm talking about the power and potential profitability of leveraging the unique assets within your loyalty program as a media business. It's a big idea, and it's one I have seen work extremely well for brands who find the perfect balance between the needs of their loyalty members, their internal business requirements, and external advertising partners who are relevant for your audience. Sonder Media is an Australian-based expert consultancy firm that specializes in identifying, valuing, and optimizing the media value of loyalty programs around the world. In this episode, I'm joined by its co-founders, Jonathan Hopkins and Angus Fraser, who share their unique expertise and insights on this opportunity. As more and more of us come under pressure to increase the return on investment for our loyalty programs, I think now is the perfect time to think about this idea of leveraging your loyalty program as a media asset with the potential to dramatically improve your bottom line. So, Angus Fraser and Jonathan Hopkins, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula. Thank you, Paula. It's lovely to be here. Great, great, great. Jonathan, you've been on the show before. Mm-hmm. Would you believe it was over 160 episodes ago? I know. I can't believe it. Congratulations <laughs> on uh, on the growth. It's been phenomenal. Thanks a million. Yes, a few grey hairs in the mix as well, Jonathan. So listen to me. Um, we have a lot to go through today. Uh, for me, I suppose the reason I loved having you on the show before was, first of all, I think you have a very unique role that you guys play in the industry globally in terms of helping companies with their owned media, managing it, measuring it and monetizing it. Uh, but also, I think particularly you solve two very specific problems that I had in my career before. Before, which was, you know, kind of, you know, increasing the return on investment for loyalty programs and also the pressure to drive media value. So lots to talk about today on those two topics and how you manage them. But before we get into all of that, please do tell me what are your favorite loyalty programs? I'll jump in on that one first, Paula. I think in a world where we are inundated with some incredible AI technology, personalization, targeting, um, the one loyalty program that still stands out to me is the Humble Coffee Card because A, I love coffee. B, I love being able to get free coffee. Totally. Okay. So a low-tech solution from Mm. Angus. Well done, you. Yeah, and I'll, I will build on that because um, this week I heard about this coffee shop in London, um, which has a loyalty card as well. But what they did, which was different, was invite their customers to get loyalty stamps from all their competitors. And then they gave a free coffee when they returned. Um, wow. So I, I think that's really wow. confident 
um, yeah. and bold uh, in your own product, you're basically saying you're welcome to go and try others. Uh, we believe that we're the best in town. If you if you prefer their coffee, that's fine. If you prefer ours, come back and we'll reward you. So wow. I thought that was quite a, a unique take on the whole coffee card. It totally is, Jonathan. I think we saw a bit of that with, wasn't it McDonald's and Burger King a couple of years ago, where, you know, there was literally, I think, a geo-targeted opportunity where you were incentivized to go and try the other burger with uh, obviously an incentive to come back. Yes, it's a smart play, isn't it? For sure, yes. And Angus, what I'm sure you're doing is making sure to optimize that and smile nicely at the till to make sure you get a few (laughs) extra stamps along the way. (laughs) I think I need to be nicer to the barista for that, don't I? Yes, you do, definitely. Brilliant. So listen, as I mentioned, there's a couple of big challenges that I think everyone listening to this show really struggles with. And it's good context for today. I've been talking a lot about it recently, in fact. And I suppose it comes at the end of a huge period of investment in loyalty programs, uh, which I think will continue. But I think what I'm certainly hearing from people now is that there are more and more demands on, you know, how is that loyalty program performing? How can we measure and obviously increase the return on investment of loyalty programs? So I know owned media is a brilliant solution and answer to this kind of challenge that we're all facing. So I'd love you maybe just to talk through exactly how does owned media fit into this particular problem slash opportunity? Okay, well, I mean, I could jump in on that one um, in terms of, I guess, understanding the value of owned media um, when it comes to loyalty programs. And I suppose it's poor form to start an answer um, with a caveat, but I will caveat it to say that every business is distinct, is unique, and has different audiences, different media channels. Um, So it is difficult to pin a number on what any loyalty program out there is worth. But in our experience and and working with the kinds of businesses that we've worked with, what we found is that typically a loyalty program is worth over $70 million per year. So it's significant in terms of the uh, value and the potential commercial um, uh, opportunity there for organizations. Because when you think about all the media that is being leveraged and used to support different offers, rewards, and news across all the media channels like email and social, website, apps, you know, there is so much there. Um, and when you add all of that value up, it is significant. And so we think that loyalty programs, when they, I guess, flip the lens a little bit and just look at the media that they have and Mm. the value of it, the audiences that they can um, contribute and provide to other brands, it's a huge opportunity for them. And just to clarify, Angus, that's $70 million. Obviously, it's an extraordinary number. But what you're talking about is that's completely different to the the business case for loyalty, which exists to drive profitable behavior for the business. So that's one element of the whole P&L for the return on investment. What you're saying is that they're entirely different opportunity and it's a $70 million opportunity in your experience. Exactly. And the beauty of it is that it's very, very quantifiable. 
Um, and, you know, the kind of work that we're doing with, with organisations around the world is to actually calculate what the specific media value is for every single channel and format that they are providing and mm-hmm. that they are using to communicate with their huge audiences. Mm. And that, that because we can get down to that level, you can then ladder that back up to demonstrate the full value that a loyalty program offers. Absolutely. And I think I said to you last time we spoke, Angus, that this was exactly the situation I had. I had a wonderful role as head of e-commerce for e-bookers in Europe. And as everybody knows, the travel business has tiny margins. And every time there was an earnings call with our biggest competitor, lastminute.com, the single biggest takeaway that the investors had was, oh my God, the media value these guys are earning on the back of their audience. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but even 20 years ago, Angus, it was an extraordinary thing. And again, meant I was under pressure to sell media to my audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And when when you look at websites as an example, because a lot of that data is in the public domain, um, and you look at the top 50 websites in your country by monthly page views, what we generally find is that there are more normal businesses um, than publishers in that top 50 ranking. Um, it's usually about 60% of them are yeah. actually businesses. So they're attracting huge audiences. And only now, you know, in the last few years, are we starting to see loyalty programs catch up with that and say, you know, across our email base, across our social following, um, our app, um, they're, they're drawing millions and millions of customers. Um, and those customers, yes, they're there for, you know, to engage with the business um, and transacting on some occasions, yeah. but also they're there looking for offers. And the offers business we've seen um, just grow exponentially um, Mm. as a way to offer rewards Mm. um, to customers and the ability to to target those customers and and give them tailored offers Mm. is really, really powerful. Mm. Um, And then those offers are supported via media channels um, to to make them aware of them. And Mm. that's where the, the value resides. And For that's, sure. you know, to Jonathan's, sorry, um, Paul, to Jonathan's point there about the, the volume of audience um, that loyalty programs can actually contribute and provide, layer onto that the sophisticated targeting that they are able to bring to the party as well so that it becomes a really compelling opportunity for other brands to be able to leverage that mm. so that um, it's not just it's not just a, a volume play, it's a value play as well mm. and that they can really target those audiences in, in, many, time, in many cases better mm. than what can be bought out in the paid media market. Yeah. And actually, that's a good point, Angus. You guys both came from this industry of buying media. So I suppose you have a brilliant perspective in terms of what it's worth and, and yeah. you know, exactly how to monetize it. Yeah, we've, um, you know, between Jonathan and I, we've you know, presided over the investment of billions of dollars around the world. And so we've seen a lot in terms of the way that brands can access paid media mm. uh, targeting. And obviously, it's evolving constantly. And um, there are some really good solutions out there. But ultimately, when you look back at what a business can provide and the sorts of first-party data that they have, the sort of reporting that they can provide, downstream financial reporting, that kind of thing, 
that is, you know, that's leaving the paid media market for dead. It's incredible. And I guess my key thing, when I think back to to that particular instance where I was facing this challenge, as I mentioned in eBookers, I guess as an e-commerce manager, the actual KPIs that I was targeted with were about converting. And Jonathan, you already referred to this idea that the customer's there to transact with that brand. So I think I was always super protective of the inventory because what I was afraid of was actually there would be way too much of other people's product and content competing for my customer's attention. So how do you, I suppose, identify the best way to monetize owned media without compromising, I suppose, the core business and objectives that the, the visitor is there for. Yeah, exactly. So we talk about um, getting a an even triangle between the three core constituents. So, and they are your business, um, mm-hmm. your customers, and the partner or supplier if, if you're a retailer. Um, so if you can get an even triangle between those three parties, you're doing a good job. Where mm. where it, where we see problems is um, where, for example, it's skewing too much towards the partner's needs. So it work, it's working really well for a partner, yeah. as you said in your example, yeah. um, but it's not working well for the customer and therefore it's not working well for your business. So mm. if you can get it working on an even basis for those three parties, so it's a triple win, mm. um, you're in a good spot. Um, you know, we're, we're certainly not in the business of, um, over commercializing your audience. Um, that's a dangerous space to be in mm. um, and, and absolutely not mercenary in that regard. It's mm. very much about ensuring a better outcome for your customer. Yeah. And that's where off partner offers um, have really come into the fore because you're adding value to your customer base by going out into the market and finding relevant offers for yeah. them and delivering them through your platforms. Yeah. So you're you're definitely winning for your business, you're definitely winning for the partner and you're definitely yeah. winning for the customers. So that's why it's we've okay. seen such growth in that in that offers area. Yeah. And I think you had a funny phrase that you used to uh, to I suppose explain those three different <laughs> stakeholders. Do you want to share that with the audience? Yeah, I mean we we talk about don't tattoo the baby. Um, <laughs> so don't over commercialize your audience um, yeah. it's about being sensitive to your customers needs and and adding value at every turn lovely um, and so, some marketers get very protective like you were describing you know the yeah. purists yeah. about their their media assets yeah. um, and we understand that you know we've been marketers as well yeah but ultimately if if showing them a partner offer adds value to the customer then we think it's worth doing for sure. So what categories now, I suppose, bearing in mind, guys, that we've got people all over the world listening to the show, of course, um, and we also have all sectors. We have a lot of people in the travel industry, uh, a lot of people like me coming from telcos. But what I, you know, what are the particular loyalty programs or sectors and categories that you think particularly are working for this opportunity with, with owned media? Well, I think certainly the categories that you've mentioned there are um, uh, absolutely prime for being able to leverage owned media. And you mentioned telcos, um, Paula, and and that's an area that we've um, done a lot of work in. And many of them now are really bona fide media businesses that bring scale um, to content deals and really driving usage 
and customer value through their media offerings. Mm. Um, we work with uh, Singtel Optus, and they are no exception. You know, they have a, a business that spans across, obviously, um, fixed telephony, mobile, internet, mm. but they also have um, subscription TV service. Uh, and they have major sporting and content deals with the likes of uh, English Premier League. So they they have this enormous wealth of owned media value, um, mm. which they're using in a really multifaceted way. So obviously they have um, very large, sophisticated uh, handset deals yep. with the likes of Samsung and Apple and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the, the owned media that they are using to promote these um, new handset launches and that kind of thing is incredibly valuable. And so it's really being able to demonstrate the owned media value that they are bringing to support those handset deals. Yeah. And then the third area is, is where your audience really comes into it, which is uh, around the loyalty programs and offers and rewards um, programs that are being run by telcos. Mm. Um, and, you know, as we've talked about, the ability to really drive the owned media value within those programs. For sure. Yeah. And as you were talking about that, Angus, I was just thinking about, you know, this much rumored death of the cookie and, you know, the opportunity to um, to really advertise online is really being, uh, well, likely to be compromised, let's say. We don't know exactly when, but it sounds like, you know, with that mindset that anybody who is looking to build awareness and do some marketing activity really does need access to first party databases where all the privacy is taken care of. And as you said, the level of uh, clarity and accuracy around marketing to certain people is just at a whole other level. Yeah, exactly. The the first party data phenomenon that's that's coming um, very soon, um, if not already in a lot of categories, um, is an extremely powerful um, owned media tool mm. um, and attractive to other companies. Um, that ability to target, um, to demonstrate um, conversion mm. um, via an opt-in database is just not available in paid media. Yeah. Um, so as as the cookie crumbles, um, first-party <laughs> data is um, very much at the forefront of um, owned media leverage. And yeah. what we're seeing is movement towards um, owned media, retail yeah. media um, yeah. in many, many categories um, to leverage that customer data in a in a sensitive way. For sure. And you mentioned Singtel, Angus. Um, I'd love to get a sense of other, I suppose, brands that you guys have maybe worked with in perhaps travel or, you know, or financial services. I think you guys mentioned is one where there is huge scale, bigger appetite. And I guess you're doing kind of global media evaluations for these guys to, to help them monetize it. Um, that's right, Paula. We work with um, travel and financial services brands around the world. We're seeing a, a lot of growth in um, airlines um, mm -hmm. who, who've been quite established in this space, but now through their loyalty programs as well, they're, they're generating um, a lot of interest from external parties um, and have you know online stores, e-commerce programs within their loyalty programs, yeah. and supporting those brands through their own media channels. Yeah. Um, and then from a FinFoot services um, perspective, um, we work with um, 
banks, um, big banks are all getting into the office space, as well as um, global credit card brands across multiple markets. So, yeah, um, the 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 equation is really quite powerful. So, on average, across across these office programs, we're seeing about five times the cost of the offer to the business, to the partner business in terms of media support. So if it costs uh, an offer brand 50,000 in hard cost of redemptions to the offer, we're seeing $250,000 worth of um, media support going behind that offer. So it's quite a compelling um, sell to those brands. And what we've seen um, certainly in the financial um, sector is sales teams now leading with the value um, of media as, mm. a, as a way to attract new vendors and partners. Absolutely. And actually, as I was asking about the sectors as well, guys, I was thinking that, in fact, since we last spoke, I've actually moved into this direction myself because I guess, you know, in B2B, there's also brands that I can support as a media business myself. And whereas I don't have an advertising budget, I can promote loyalty conferences and loyalty events, and they can promote Let's Talk Loyalty directly out to their audiences, which are usually an email format, for example, or we're showing up on all of these random websites. But what I love about that model for me as a small business is it's done on a full, I suppose, contra basis rather than a cash basis. So I feel like even for brands who are listening that might not want to go the whole hog in terms of building a media business, there's still opportunities to identify partners or maybe a complementary loyalty program that has a similar audience and start to refer people to each other. So is that something you think is also relevant for you know, understanding the value of owned media? Yeah, absolutely, Paula. And and um, it's great to hear what you're doing there in terms of, I guess, leveraging the media assets that you can bring to the table and the audiences that you can bring to other brands. Um, and contra or value in kind, these kinds of things are really, really common. And we're seeing a lot of businesses do this. I guess what we advocate um, is that you need to talk about the dollar value and the audience that is being assigned to those media formats. So, mm. you know, if you're if you're talking about providing uh, an email or access to a, a website banner or, or leaderboard, you know that kind of thing is is fine, but it's very very hard to understand the real value of it unless there is a dollar attached to it. Mm. So, rather than just saying we'll we'll give you an email, and then someone the other party saying well we'll give you an email, yeah. those two emails could be radically different. You know. <laughs> In terms of the real value. So totally. yeah. you know, we always advocate uh, know your worth, know the value of the media that you have, the yeah. audiences that they uh, command, mm-hmm. and that you can then actually go out and operationalize. For sure. And it's a good point, Angus, because I've often had that situation where I would say, look, I'll do an email out about your particular, you know, event, for example. And somebody then says, great, we'll put you, you know, as one of six in our email. And I'm going, actually, that is not a fair trade. <laughs> That's I need- exactly it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I do remember we talked about Solus emails last time, Jonathan, actually, you had a big number around a, a Solus email campaign that you'd uh, you'd done for a client. Yes, we we consistently find year on year that email is is one of the most valuable 
um, channels, and that's across physical media in store as well as all digital media yeah. channels. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's opt in, so it yeah. gets around privacy um, yeah. issues. Um, that they're they've asked to receive it. You've got open rate um, metrics which can add to the value. Yeah. Um, and it goes directly into their inbox. So there's yeah, there's a myriad of reasons why email is is such a powerful tool even in in the world where all these new media channels and social media platforms come up um yeah. in terms of value emails email t- tends to be the winner yeah not surprised to hear that and i think as consumers we all feel that as well it has cut through and what i've always liked about email is i do feel actually in control as a consumer so if if it does get excessive to your point earlier about you know getting the balance right i do feel i can unsubscribe so so i'm i'm happy to keep receiving it because i feel that level of control that i'll never be bombarded so yeah i think it's a very good point yeah and one of the innovations we're seeing around the world is just this growth in customer personalization engines. Okay. So the ability of these large organizations, especially in grocery and retail, mm. to be able to tailor individual communications to an individual customer with offers based on their shopping behavior um, yeah. is huge value to partners because they work that much harder yeah. and they just can't be, they can't be, they can't do that anywhere else. Of course. Um, so it's quite un- a unique thing to own media. For sure. And I always love, you know, I suppose, innovative and emerging ideas as well in terms of formats. What else, I suppose, is coming through, you know, beyond those traditional channels that you've been, as we said, measuring and valuing for the last few years? What other kinds of ways, I suppose, should we be thinking about where there's value and attention that could be, you know, opportunalized, if that's a word? (laughs) Well, yeah, the personalization engine is a big one. The other um, type of formats that we're seeing emerge is in there's a lot of growth in search. So what Google have been doing for years in the paid media space, we're seeing translated into owned media. Mm. So um, searching for products on an e-commerce site um, and then getting served with uh, recommended banners um, or placements that match that search. Um, And those have obviously a much higher value based on where they sit on the page. And um, there's a huge growth in, in app usage um, and being able to serve relevant communication via um, geo-targeting. For example, you know, you're walking past a McDonald's and you're being served by one of your favorite platforms, a geo-targeted offer as you check your balance um, is one example that's um, been possible for some time, but but it's now being starting to come into that um, offer space as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that actually, Jonathan, given that it has been since, what did we say, November 2020 when we last talked. And I think what we're all seeing is actually just huge growth in this space. So, you know, you're certainly preaching to the converted clearly as far as I'm concerned. But for people listening, you know, in terms of, you know, why now, if if people would be considering doing something like this, like what do you think is the opportunity for, for brands really to, to think about doing something in 2022 when they might have, like me in the past, you know, kind of resisted doing it? No, I think um, when it comes to, to looking at your loyalty programs from a pure media perspective, there's a couple of steps that we advocate. 
first of all, uh, the valuation. So before you do anything in this space and make any strategic decisions around how to mobilize your media assets, you really need to understand the size of the prize. Um, so auditing and valuing uh, the media uh, assets that you have access to is the critical first step. Okay. And then secondly, you want to, to look at really uh, defining the model in which you want to um, apply to this kind of program. And that includes identifying the sorts of brands that you would want to partner with and decide whether or not you actually want to be charging cash money for, for your media or if it's going to be about representing the value as part of a wider deal. And, and this comes down to direct versus indirect revenue. So direct revenue is where you can charge cash money mm -hmm. for access to your audiences via media channels, yeah. whereas the indirect revenue is, is where you can represent that media value as part of uh, broader deals. Mm. And then I guess the, the third thing would be uh, really resisting, I guess, the temptation to simply go out and offer channels and formats. Um, you know, in the media world, you sometimes hear people talking about uh, buying spots and dots, which is really just referencing the, yeah. uh, you know, the going out and just buying bits and pieces of media here and there without having any kind of strategic clarity as to what you're doing. Yeah. So we, we definitely advocate uh, creating solutions for partners. So solutions-led um, media uh, yeah. opportunities is really critical. So you can essentially package up specific media channels that will address uh, your customers or your partners' marketing objectives. So mm. understanding what your partners are trying to achieve through yeah. communications and then really tailoring those solutions through your own media ecosystem mm. and providing those. So that that creates you know, a huge step forward for businesses to be able to offer those kind of well-thought-out solutions rather than just saying, would you yeah. like to buy an email? <laughs> that kind of thing. Totally. Um, and, and then finally, Paula, it's about making sure that you've got the measurement and reporting in place. Mm. You know, we've, we've spoken about the data and the targeting and the ability to look at downstream financials when it comes to loyalty programs. Yeah. That sort of thing is, is just, it's so, so valuable to other brands to be able to access that sort of thing. So, mm. uh, for anyone in that space who's, who's looking to do more of this, that is an area that you definitely want to be able to actually execute and leverage. Just to pick up on the second part of your question, which is why now, yeah. I think there's internal and external forces. Yeah. Um, the internal ones would be um, post-pandemic, everyone's looking for alternative or ancillary revenue streams. Yeah. Um, and this is highly lucrative. You know, we're talking about 80 yeah. to 90% profit margins um, yeah. because these the capex has already been laid down, these media channels and ecosystem is already established. Yeah. So it's effectively just turning it on for partners. So that's the internal reason. Um, externally, we've kind of alluded to a lot of this, but businesses are seeing um, diminishing returns in paid media. And yeah. they're not getting that targeting level anymore. They're not getting that ROI. Um, so there's an appetite within the marketplace to move into owned media. Yeah. Um, and so that's the external force that we're seeing as well. Yeah. 
And I'd love to hear, I suppose, just even anecdotally in terms of your existing clients, it feels like with that, I suppose, strategic clarity, Angus, that you mentioned, it does feel like that there is probably a need also for some internal expertise. So, you know, potentially, of course, working with you guys in terms of the valuation. But then when you do decide to start, you know, perhaps selling this particular new product in the business, it does feel like, you know, again, there's busy loyalty professionals out there, it would be ideal, I suppose, to resource this as well um, to basically have those products created and go to market and actually sell them almost as a new business unit. Yeah, absolutely right, Paula. And I think what you're touching on there is one of the areas of innovation that we're seeing uh, is the inclusion of media specialists within marketing yeah. and loyalty teams. And it's, it's, it's so important because Owned media really does work across a whole organization and it can be challenging, you know, to, to actually be able to corral and manage all these quite disparate teams. So yes. having a media specialist who understands, you know, communications, understands marketing and gets the media and the audiences that the business has mm -hmm. to be able to actually really pull those together into a meaningful way. And they can be the champion for it. They can go out, they can work with loyalty teams, with marketing teams to uh, really position the owned media in the way that it should be. Yeah. And they can manage campaigns, they can do the planning and reporting. So yes, there is a, an OPEX cost to, to running media programs, but in mm. our experience, the the cost is just so in, insignificant versus the yeah. actual opportunity and the ROI. For sure. And I think what that does for, for somebody like me, for example, as a loyalty manager is I have much more comfort then that the, the boundaries are clear, you know, when it is an internal solution, that the goals are fully aligned, that we know exactly how far we can go to the point earlier about not going too far for any one stakeholder. I do think that that's perhaps what was missing when I was being asked to deliver it again on top of my, my busy workload. So, so great to hear that that media speciality is increasingly coming into loyalty programs. Yeah, and just to build on that, Paula, the, what, the, what, the reality of what we're seeing is that because of the sophistication of running their own marketing programs, a lot of the tech and the data stacks are already in place. So yeah. if you think about um, content management systems, CMSs, yeah. um, a lot of these tech um, platforms are already in place yeah. and they're already running um, quite sophisticated data stacks to get those business financials yeah. on their own marketing and their own campaigns. So conversion metrics, um, engagement metrics, um, and just understanding through their customer data engines what's going on in their own business mm. that can easily be used yeah. Um, and redeployed into partner campaigns as well as their own. For sure. And I mean, I haven't asked the question, but certainly when I think about all of my partners on the show, in terms of technology companies, I'm pretty sure that their solution is being designed with exactly this requirement in mind. And I'm thinking client-wise, for example, I did write an article about Walgreens, and I think it was about two years ago, but exactly this idea, you know, they have an audience of 100 million people, uh, permission to market to them. So then, of course, they set up the Walgreens advertising group. 
loop um, and the opportunity to commercialize a database of 100 million people um, was obviously something Walgreens spotted a mile off and have put the infrastructure in place in order to uh, to capture that value. So I'd love to be able to, to be on the inside and see the, uh, the P&L uh, a couple of years on. Um, yes. So- well, yeah. we're seeing we're seeing Walgreens, we're seeing CVS um, yeah. in the last few years in the US. Yeah. Walmart um, yeah. have a business called Connect um, in the UK. You've got Harrods Media. You've got Boots recently launched. Yeah, um, Tesco, um, and so yeah, the Amazon's leading leading the way in terms of the revenue that they're able to garner from this area. Yeah, um, it's around thirty two billion globally. Which wow. is huge, um, yeah. and that's where they're making a lot of their their revenues now. So yes, yeah. it's it's happening a lot in the retail space. Um, airlines have been doing this for decades um, yeah. as well. Yeah, um, they call it ancillary revenue. Yes, um, and the telcos and the financial institutions are all are all doing it now as well. So it's definitely um, it's definitely becoming more normalised. For sure. Well, as I said, you guys are perfectly placed in terms of your expertise, uh, first of all, on the buying side to now advise on the opportunity side. So from my perspective, you're creating and delivering an enormous service to uh, to, to the whole loyalty industry. Okay. Angus Frazier, Jonathan Hopkins, co-founders of Sonder Media. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. This show is sponsored by The Wise Marketeer, the world's most popular source of loyalty marketing news, insights, and research. The Wise Marketeer also offers loyalty marketing training through its Loyalty Academy, which has already certified over 245 executives in 27 countries as certified loyalty marketing professionals. For more information, check out thewisemarketeer.com and loyaltyacademy.org. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. Thanks again for supporting the show.